Good morning. Hope you guys are all surviving out there. I hope you enjoyed the videos from the missionaries. Just a way for us to kind of keep in front of us, you know, that this is impacting people all around the world. And, and as, a, as a church, we have strategic partners that are located all over the world who are trying to impact uh, those areas with the gospel and, and it's, it's affecting us all. And honestly, here in America, it affects us too, um, but we are pretty blessed and we have technology and things like that to help us get through this time. And, um, you know, so I hope, I hope you're, uh, you're managing. Um, and this last week was Easter Sunday and it was probably the most bizarre Easter Sunday morning any of us have ever had as we watched online as our church family is all over Lewis County and all around the world just uh, trying to um, really celebrate without being able to be together. And so we saw many different ways that people celebrated uh, the fact that he is risen. And some of it was, you know, giving out food Sunday afternoon. Our team took food out to, uh, so, to a homeless camp and, and also just gave it out over at the Lewis and Clark building. And they wrote on each one of the to-go meals, he is risen, Jesus is risen. And then I saw a number of people celebrating by writing on their sidewalks. And this is uh, my nieces here. They're uh, writing all over their sidewalks for their neighbors and uh, you know, we've been blessed by some sunny weather. It's like God's trying to keep us, uh, keep us smiling as we're going through this social isolation, but rejoice in the Lord. He is risen. And so I hope that this last week that the, the reality of, of what Jesus has done for us still hit home for us. And, um, you know, I just, I, I miss you guys so much. I've been thinking about you a lot and just can't wait till we can get together again. And, and this is just so odd uh, this whole thing. I'm, I'm sitting in an empty room right now, uh, and I was just feeling this kind of strangeness to preparing a sermon when just like 30 minutes ago, I was changing a dirty diaper, and, and life is just so different right now. And um, we're all walking into unchared, uncharted territory on a daily basis. And I feel like in the midst of all that, in the midst of the strangeness and awkwardness of it, um, there's there's opportunity for us. God is providing us opportunity to demonstrate our faith. Because uh, through the challenges that we go through, it's important for us to look to God and to trust him and see what he's trying to do. That we can stay focused on hearing from him and letting him lead us. That he will get us through everything. He'll get us through anything. Anything that comes our way. Even the valley of the shadow of death that he is a good shepherd, that he cares for us, that he cares for you. And this, this is where this image of sheep and shepherd that we've been talking about over the past few weeks in Psalm 23, um, this is where this, this image of sheep and shepherd kind of falls a little bit short in my mind. It's hard um, for, for me sometimes to, to think about that and to realize just how much Jesus cares for me. And no matter how many times I sing a song like Jesus Loves Me, which I'm singing it all the time right now. It's every day, multiple times a day. Um, but the reality of that, to, to really let it sink in, it, it, can be, it can still be challenging, even especially when you're going through hard times. But the reality is that we are like sheep. We are not only like sheep. <laughs> that, that Jesus loves us on a personal level. And I think I just wanted to take a moment and focus on that because uh, I don't know who, who out there needs to hear that. Um, as I've been spending more time at home and I've been getting to hold on to my kids and then um, even last week as, as we shared 
a little bit of Kayla's story of what it feels like to walk through the challenges of pregnancy and, and childbirth, but then get to hold your babies. I've been holding on to my kids a lot lately, and, and the image that that gives me of, of God as a father um, who desires to be with his kids. And I've been blessed by that to just really focus on that. As I hold my babies, I'm blown away by the fact that God could feel that way about me. It's a reality that uh, as much as I've looked into it and I felt it at different times, it's just something that's really challenging that he created you, loves you with an overwhelming love, that he, has, that he created you and loves you with an overwhelming love. And I felt this truth in a new kind of way lately as Kayla and I have been watching um, and re-watching now. Uh, uh, there's a TV show out there called The Chosen and I don't know if you've heard about it but I just wanted to mention it because in it I've seen uh, in a new way a reality of, of the personal love of Jesus as the stories of the gospel are made into a, a television narrative and it's done in a really cool way. And I, I want to encourage you if you've got time to check it out. You can download the app and I'm not trying to advertise for it only in the sense that it can add a, a reality of, of who Jesus is to your life. And, and I've really, really enjoyed it. As I walked away from watching that show with the reality that, that I really can't wait to give Jesus a hug, <laughs> to see him face to face, and to have that experience of, of being with him. Um, and I've never really... Uh, I don't think I've ever felt it quite like that before, even though I've, I've, I long to see him. And I, maybe it's because of this whole social isolation thing. I just really, really want a hug. Um, but just the picture of that, that, that someday I'll get to see him. Um, that like a, like a parent who longs to see their child or hold their child, that that God looks at us that way, like a father, like a family member whom has provided for us, cared for us, looked after us all our lives, and someday we're going to be united. That, that just, I think, just overwhelms me. Um, and so I, I, I encourage you to contemplate that in this time of social, social isolation as you miss the interactions with others, to let that, kind of like a fast would that hunger would drive your understanding of your need of God, that as we crave social interactions and, and human interactions, that in the midst of this, it, we could treat it almost like a, f- a fast of sorts, that it would drive our desire to be with him in a new way, um, that God could do something really cool through that as we look around our, we look at our lives and we, we see that something is missing, um, that we could trust in him and look to him even more. And I bring all this up because to truly grasp God's personal love for you is one of the most um, life-altering truths in the world. The way that we view God will dramatically impact the way that we view the world. I also know that no matter how many times I think about this, there's more depth to it. It's kind of like a nail getting pounded into to my heart. And every time I think about it, it's like another hammer blow to that reality as it drives further and further in. And I want it to get all the way home to where it really saturates my heart that I truly understand his love for me so that it can impact the way that I view the world. 
perhaps you need that reminder today. So I just want to throw that out there. Because when we get to an image like shepherd and sheep, it doesn't, it, it can leave, leave us a little bit um, with a different picture. So we, we understand that we are not only like sheep, <laughs> but we are still like sheep. We are like sheep because if left to ourselves, we would do harm to ourselves and others. It's interesting as I've looked at and studied sheep over the past few weeks that if unattended, they'll graze in a field until they've eaten all the grass all the way down to where they've chewed up the nubs down to the roots and they will actually cause something called desertification. Not desertification, which is what's been happening at my house every night, but desertification. It turns green pastures into deserts as the sheep unknowingly eat the good, the good grass all the way down to where it kills the roots. It's something that I, I see in our own lives as we take the good things that God has given us and we don't trust him, we, we turn them into poison. We, we, we don't allow them to continue to be something that nourishes us, but they be, we overdo it, if you will. Um, in this time of social isolation and, and so much of the things that we looked to, uh, even as good things, even things that, um, that we could enjoy have been taken away from us, uh, let it remind us of the ways that those things are supposed to nourish our souls. Um, we are like sheep in so many ways that if left to ourselves, we, we can't care for ourselves. We can't, it, our souls, what happens to our souls is that we get turned upside down and there's nothing that we can do to turn ourselves right side, right side up again. Uh, because of sin, we go astray as Isaiah 53 verse 6 says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That we are like sheep because of sin. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to be led by a shepherd. We want to go and do our own thing. That even the good things of life we can turn into um, something that we, that we cling to instead of the shepherd. We are like sheep in this sense, turned upside down, and we need him. My prayer is that through this season of our world, that more people would recognize their need for something greater, that we don't just need entertainment, that we need somebody to, to heal our souls, or as the, the Psalm 23, is, as David writes it, that he restores our souls. He puts us back on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. See, we are so <laughs> sinful <laughs> that even when we do good on our own, it doesn't lead us to righteousness. It leads us to self-righteous pride that we can even get built up in our right actions. And this is why the gospel, <laughs> this is why the good news of Jesus' sacrifice for us and the grace that that brings is so important for us to keep in front of us, to humble us, to remind us that it is him and him alone who saves us. That way we don't get built up in our own works, in our own righteousness, but we can continue to trust in God and look to him as our shepherd. That we look to him, trusting him and walking with him every day, and that's the way we're meant to live. So as we read Psalm 23, we see this picture. And would you just read it with me this morning? This is Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This picture, it's, it's so much bigger than just a sheep and shepherd metaphor. And we see that as David uh, he writes through this. It's poetry, really. It's, it's a poem it's a, that David has written. And he's going to make a shift in the figurative language here at verse five. That's where we're picking it up today. He's been talking about the shepherd and, and the relationship to the sheep, that he leads us in pastures and beside still waters. We get a hint of it that he restores our soul. It's not just an image of a sheep with shepherd, but there's a depth to it. When we see in verse five, David kind of shifts gears here and he says, you prepare a table before me. You see, if if a sheep is being invited to the table, um, that probably wasn't a good thing for the sheep. (laughs) So we can clearly see that David is, is changing his illustration here. He's moved from the shepherd sheep illustration, figurative language, to a figurative language of a feast of a host to inviting you, setting a table before you. This is something apparently that was common in Hebrew poetry to move from one figurative image to another without an explanation. It just, it just is a transition that's made. And so as we read along, uh, we can, we can understand that there's a departure here from the image of sheep. This, this idea is still there that God is the one who cares for our souls, but we've changed a little bit here that he has prepared a table, that he will prepare a table before us. So as I think about that, we look at this image to have a table prepared. What that means is that he has made us an honored guest at a feast to be invited to the table of almighty God is a big departure from being a sheep, right? A few weeks ago as we we, we started this passage, the understanding that, that we are like sheep and sheep are, <laughs> they're dumb. <laughs> they're helpless creatures that, um, that can't care for themselves. To move from that image to the image of honored guests of almighty God is a pretty significant change. And it's intentional. It's totally intentional on David's part. So as we think about where this passage has taken us, we see besides still waters that that when we trust him and we humble ourselves under his care, that we come to God in a humble state of you are my shepherd and I'm like a sheep. I want to follow you. I want to be led by you. It moves us along through green pastures, still waters, the restoration of our souls. And and as you're in this season of, of isolation, We need this humble reminder to look to God for what he's doing in our lives. Maybe he's leading you in quiet pastures right now. Or if you have kids at home, it may not feel like that. 
But he's, he's doing something in our lives that w- when we intentionally trust him, we can see its goodness for us. That we have this hope that even in the midst of this, even though we'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he goes with us. That we can trust him here on this side of Easter Sunday, you know, we've celebrated this last week, but really it's a celebration that's been happening in the lives of Christians for millennia, that we get to look back on this side of history and we get a different perspective of the valley of the shadow of death than David had. It's the same hope, it's the same faith, we get a different perspective. See, David and and the people of God who trusted him through the ancient Hebrew people all the way back to to, uh, Abraham, when they were looking to God, they were trusting and they were looking forward to a day that a Messiah would come that would free the people from their sins. They were trusting, even though they couldn't see him clearly like we can today looking back, they were looking to Jesus, the one who would lead us through death, the valley of the shadow of death, the one who would go before us, therefore could go with us through that. That Jesus was the one that they were looking for. It was Jesus who would be the answer for their sins and our sins. It was Jesus that would be the one to make a way through the valley of the shadow of death. And it would be Jesus who would make a way to be invited to the banquet table of God. God had this relationship with the people of Israel, but it was ultimately through Jesus that that comes to fruition, that the, that the justice of God could be met, that he could have relationship with us. And that David, as he was writing this, was looking to that day, trusting in God, the one who would save him. And we get to look back on history and see that. That we are taken from being sheep in the care of a great shepherd to being guests at the table of God because of what Jesus has done. In verse six, we actually find a prayer and a hope for not just walking with God through this life, but for all eternity. It's quite the transformation that happens in these six verses. It's why it's such a popular passage to memorize and so good kids for you that are memorizing it for all of us hopefully adults we have it if not word for word memorized we have it in our hearts (laughs) that that understanding that we come to him like sheep and he elevates us to honored guests in his house forever it's absolutely amazing this image of the table that we're talking about verse five is set not just before us but it's set in the presence of our enemies. That's an interesting terminology that David uses. And I was, as I was thinking about that, I pictured two armies at war. I pictured this battle going on. Now, our modern warfare is fought differently to ancient warfare. There would have been battle lines. There would have been camps and tents set up. And In the midst of that, David uses this image of a table set in the presence of the enemy. It's like, here they are getting ready to go to battle and God comes and sets a table before you, a feast, a banquet in the sight of the enemy camp. What would that have said to the enemy? It has said, hey you, yeah, you're big and scary, right? But you can't touch this. There I go again, can't touch this. (laughs) 
But that would, that's what it would have said to the enemy. It's like, death, devil, <laughs> you're here and I see you. See, the, the enemy that, that, that we have to focus on is not the Republicans or the Democrats, <laughs> okay? The enemy that this is referring to is the enemy. The one who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And what God does through Jesus is he sets a table before us in the presence of our enemy and says, you can't touch this. Just a few weeks ago in our Acts series, we, we were talking about the early church that they were brought in and they were, they were under the scrutiny of the religious elite that the enemy of our souls was trying to squash this early church movement. And yet they were there and they said, you can't stop us. You can't stop us. Because they were feasting at a banquet that the, that the uh, Pharisees and the high priests, they couldn't understand. That it was God's plan for them. I think of what Jesus said in the Gospels as he spoke to his disciples as they came to him and they said, aren't you hungry, teacher? And he said, I have a food that you don't understand and that food is to do the will of my father. That when we become a part of the family of God, there is a feast set before us. That feast isn't just good, delicious food. It's to do the will of God and as we do it, it feeds our souls. It satisfies, it restores And it says that no matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter in what ways that he tries to derail us, to steal, kill, and destroy, he can't touch our hope. And so we feast in the presence of our enemy. We have to understand our enemy are not those people that that God has a heart for them to see. So we don't scoff at people who don't understand this. We scoff at the enemy who tries to destroy us. But we, we want them to understand our joy and our hope is not touched by COVID-19. It's not touched by sickness. It's not touched by the economy. It's not touched by anything that this world's circumstances can throw at us. That we can feast on the will of God and trusting in him, in the presence of our enemies. It goes on to say that you anoint my head with oil you anoint my head. In our modern church culture, this is something that we practice on occasion where we'll anoint with oil. But in ancient Hebrew culture, in ancient times, this was a little bit different. It wasn't a dab of oil on the forehead or um, in that kind of context. This was something that had a couple different meanings and, it, and both could apply here. This was something that would have been a demonstration of hospitality, of extravagance, of, of caring for the guests as they come. Because you got to realize, like, they didn't have showers. Uh, they didn't have um, the modern concept of, like, uh, a spa or a place where you could go. And especially in, this, in, this, um, in David's mind as he was a shepherd, to be invited to the table to come in off the dusty fields to be anointed with oil would have been a sign of great honor. That we're not only set a table before us, but we are anointed. It's 
it would oftentimes been a fragrant oil because they didn't have deodorant like we have nowadays. Although some of you have been using that sparingly at home. Uh, <laughs> but in the presence of, a, of, of the almighty God, of a, of a high king, one would have been conscious of their, of their appearance and of their aroma. To be anointed with oil would have been something to, to help um, care for both of those things. It, would, it was a sign of honor and a sign of extravagance. I think of, of the story in the Gospels where, where Mary comes and she anoints Jesus with costly perfume. And we see this extravagance. So I picture that in, in reverse as God says to, to us, I've anointed you. It's also a sign of sanctification in, in throughout scripture that we see from the, the setting up of the high priest and, and the priestly family that those priests were anointed with oil as a way of setting them apart, of making them holy, sanctified to God's service. And then when the people of Israel are finally granted to have a king, it's Samuel who anoints, first anointed Saul as king. And then he actually anointed David. While Saul was still alive, there were two anointed by God. So David had this picture of, of anointed as to be set apart, to be called, to be holy, to be God's chosen. And that would have been very particular to David, but it's also something that each one of us who are invited into the family of God get to have that experience. That when he saves you and when he demonstrates that and we understand that, we are anointed into his family. It's a beautiful image. And ultimately Jesus, who that term Messiah, anointed one, the one who was called, set apart to be the Messiah, he was that ultimate example. And because of that, we, we get to be participants in that, both in the extravagance of God's love, but also in the sanctification of God's love, that he set us apart and he's called us to be a part of his family. It's powerful imagery to think that almighty God, king of the universe, has prepared a table before us, called us to be a part of his family. He's anointed us. It then goes on to say, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. Again, this sounds like if you just think about that, like in my life right now, I think of, of, uh, I, I think of spilled beverages <laughs> as I have a toddler who runs around, like my cup overflows. I can picture ember pouring water and overfilling the cup and going, ah, or juice or something like that. But that's not what this means. This isn't an oopsie. <laughs> this is a picture of, again, of hospitality, of extravagance. It makes me think of some of the things that Jesus said and did in his life, that he spoke of a living water that he offered that when when we partake of it, it bubbles up inside of us, a spring of living water that bubbles up into eternal life. An abundant life. The cup overflowing. It reminds me of the first miracle that we have recorded in the Gospels. Of Jesus performing the miracle of turning water into wine. And what that was, what was so significant about that was for the people who were hosting that wedding to run out of wine in a celebration like that would have been a disgrace. It would have showed their poverty. It would have, um, it would have dishonored their guests to, to have run out. And Jesus produced not just any wine, he produced the best wine. 
so that when the, the host of the banquet tasted the, this vintage, he said, usually, usually you bring out the best wine first when people can still taste it and save the crummy stuff for later. But this is, rever- he, that Jesus reversed that. The, this was probably the best wine they had ever tasted. So when I picture a cup overflowing, this imagery of, of not just overflowing cup, but of extravagance, of joy, of exuberance, of the best beverage you've ever tasted. Whatever that is to you, just picture that. That in the presence of God, he has offered us joy in a cup, (laughs) but it's overflowing. It flows over the blessings of God. It doesn't mean life is easy, but inside of us is this overflowing joy because of who he is. So we, we see in this figurative language, we see in this poem, David is depicting a type of relationship that is part sheep and shepherd and part honored guest of God Almighty, King of the universe. These two images go hand in hand. For the life of those who trust in God, these things are not two separate things, but we get to be both and at the same time. We are a sheep who need a shepherd. We are also honored guests of the king of the universe who's loved us enough to make a way to come and be with us. We are both dumb, ignorant sheep and anointed, set apart, chosen. Honored guests and friends of the king of the universe. It's, it's a pretty incredible picture. And as I was thinking about that, it makes me realize that to encounter God means you will first be humbled. You must first be humbled. But to encounter his grace means you will be exalted. These are two aspects of our relationship with God that go hand in hand. When we come to him, we must come through humility in recognizing who he is, in recognizing our own faultiness, our own weakness, our own inability to save ourselves, our own inability to even lead ourselves, to to even know what's right. And as we trust him, as he leads us, we move from that humble creature to an honored guest because of what he's done for us, that we encounter his grace, that he loves us while we are sheep. He loves us while we were straying. Jesus used an image of a, of a shepherd in, in the Gospels. He, he talked about how the shepherd would leave 99 sheep safe to go and find the one lost sheep, the one that had wandered astray. That he treats us that way. That he goes and he doesn't scold us. Like sometimes I get this picture of like a stern judge. And for those of you who have kids at home, <laughs> even the image of a father can be challenging at times because... <laughs> Because discipline is a part of that and we, <laughs> and we get frustrated. And, and, and I think that there are, obviously there are times that God could be frustrated with you and I. But his overwhelming emotion towards us is love. That even in his discipline, out of that is a desire to lead us into the path of righteousness. That is for us. That we move from being humble sheep and we move into the, this position of honored guest. We walk through that tension in our lives. That when we are 
hardened, when we, when we are self-righteous, when we feel like we're doing good, or when circumstances in life come at us like they have recently, these are opportunities that God can use to humble us and to build our reliance on him as the good shepherd. And if you're feeling low and you're feeling downcast today, recognize that by his grace, he has elevated us. He has put us in position to receive the same honor and glory that he received. Think about what we talked about last week in Romans chapter eight, verse 18. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That this humbling life that we live in the midst of agony and torment and trial and suffering and brokenness and sickness, that it doesn't even compare to the glory that's going to be ours because of what Jesus has done. Humility to exaltation. Being humbled to exalted. It's the trajectory that we're on. And when we, and when we see Jesus' life, we see that he led the way in that. This trajectory from humbled to exalted. Jesus walked through that. From sheep to above all names. Look, think about what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every every name, so that At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see this picture in Psalm 23. We see this picture in Jesus' life. We see it in David's life, and we see it playing out in our own lives as our example. Humbled at the foot of the cross, we receive grace and mercy. It's available to all who recognize their need, to all who've been humbled, whether it's by your own sin, by the circumstances of life, to be humbled, to encounter the grace of God leads to exaltation. It leads to, for Jesus, it led to the name above every other name, but for all of us who are called by him, who've found that grace, we get to participate with him in that, to move from sheep to be invited guests at the king's table. So we are called to remain humble, to remember that we are sheep in need of a good shepherd. And in the midst of this life, we get to have an identity as honor guests of the king as well. We can remain humbled and exalted so that our world, can't, they can't quite figure out who are these Christians. We need that reality to be present in our lives, to be exalted and humble at the same time, to walk with joy in the presence of our enemies, but in a way that's inviting to those who are watching us, that they're going to see the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ in us, that they see people who can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but who appear to be feasting and joyous because there's a table before us 
because there is a cup that overflows. It reminds me of the reality that, that we are going to one day participate in the greatest feast of all, that we are invited to that banquet. And Jesus, when he was with his disciples before he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, he shared one last meal with them. And he made it very significant. It's recorded in the Gospels. Even Paul goes on to write about it in Corinthians. That this moment was so significant as Jesus would set up a reminder for us of his goodness to us, of his grace, that we are invited to the table of communion. So in a few moments, we're going to participate in communion in our homes. So I hope you have the stuff prepared for that. But before we do that, I want to pray. And I want you to join me that God would continue to build our identity to understanding who he is, his love for us, not just as a shepherd, but as a parent who loves his kids, his creation, who he has designed for a relationship with him, that, he, that we can live this life of humble to exalted, to demonstrate who God is to the world around us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the reminder we see in your word. We thank you for um, this passage of Psalm 23 and the reminder of, of our desperate need of you as shepherd to guide us, to tr- that we could trust you and walk with you through this life. That we are like sheep. We can't do it on our own. We can't even follow you on our own. That's why you need a staff. You guide us. You, you actively pull us along in times of trial. And this is one of those times in our lives where, where there's a rod and a staff and we want to trust you. That when we read through the gospels and we see the grace of God, we recognize we get to go from being humbled to exalted because of what you've done. And so I pray this morning that, that for those who need the humility that you bring, that you would soften our hearts to recognize that we don't have it all figured out. That even in this trying time, we want to walk in humility, trusting you. And God, for those who are downcast right now, would you restore, restore joy, set the banquet, remind them, remind us that you have not just called us to be sheep, but you've called us to be honored guests, anointed with oil, prepared a table in the presence of our enemy who cannot steal, kill, or destroy the gifts that you bring, that you have set before us a cup that overflows into salvation, and that that is a never-ending supply. Remind us of that this morning. And let it just inspire us to worship you. Let it inspire us to move forward and even in our own families in an attitude of grace that you have shown us that, God, and that you are for us. So I thank you for that message this morning, that reminder. Would you speak that over us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the band sings, would you prepare the elements in your home uh, whatever you've got, whether it's crackers or, or bread and juice or water, whatever you've got. And in just a few moments, we will uh, partake in communion together separately. <laughs>